0: To the Explores, time traveling through history one era at a time. I'm Kate Armstrong. Today I've got another tutor tastic interview for you, and it's one I'm absolutely delighted to share. Back in 2021, I spoke to Jennifer Krantz, producer on a musical called The King's Wife. It reimagines the relationship between Catherine of Aragon and Anne Boleyn, giving us a version of their story in which, through all that drama, they were actually great friends. Why haven't you heard about this fabulous show, you wonder? Because it's still in the process of being created. Jen and I will get into the show's origin story, the team behind it, and everything that goes into making a musical about women of the past. You're also in for a real treat, because I'll be sharing one of the songs from the show with you in full. So, make sure you listen all the way to the end. Grab some rose-tinted revisionist history glasses and a whole bunch of tissues. Let's go traveling. But first, a shout-out to some of my patrons. My newest pirate queens, Regan, Sydney, and Alden. My newest lady president, Catherine R. My boss ladies, Tanya, Sarah S., Rebecca, Patricia, Nuria, Natalie, Monique, Michelle, Jessica, Sophie, and Julian, Grace, Elizabeth M., Elizabeth G., Annabelle, and Amy. My adventuresses, Terry, Stephanie, Kelly, Joe Marie. Jessica R., Iris, Emily, Carlos, and Anna, my warrior queens, Lori, Neve, and Sloane, Kate, and Alexis, my imperial empresses, Katie, Samara, Faye and Whimsy Soapworks, and Bridget, and my lady pharaohs, the fabulous Lauren and the amazing Courtney's. Patrons are such a huge part of what keeps the show going, and they get access to all sorts of goodies, giveaways, sneak peeks, early access to episodes, exclusive bonus episodes, full interviews with my guests, Q&As, all sorts of stuff. To learn more, just head over to my website. Hi, Jen. Welcome to the S!
1: Hi, it's so great to be here. I'm very excited. Usually people want to talk to the writers. So thank you. for <laughs> to... And they are the ones that deserve to, uh, you know, to to be talked to the most. But thank you for having me. I appreciate it.
0: Of course. So well, I'm very excited to have you on the show to talk a little bit about the musical the the sort of developing musical The King's Wife. But first, could you just introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about you. Sure.
1: I am, my name is Jennifer Kranz. I am from New York uh, and I am the creator and producer of The King's Wife. I'm a theater producer and this is one of the projects I'm working on and I'm very excited about it. <laughs> well, could you could you give us
0: a bit of a pitch for The King's Wife?
1: Sure. It's about the first two wives of Henry VIII and it's actually a retelling of their story. Um, you know, they actually were in real life very similar women. So we wanted to uh, tell a story in which they discover each other in court and form this uh, unusual, beautiful friendship. Um, and then, when push comes to shove and circumstances happen, you know, the things history sort of happened. Um, their friendship is sort of they're, they're sort of torn apart. Uh, so it's a story about um, what might have been between these two women. Um, But it's a story about what happens to the world, how we lose out uh, when great women aren't allowed to rise. And it's a story about female friendship, and the importance of female friendship, and how powerful it can be. Mm.
0: So where did the original idea for The King's Wife come from?
1: Ah, well, like millions of women. I'm just a fan of the genre, you know, millions of women all over the world, right? I'd read all the Alison Weir books and the Philippa Gregory books and watched the Tudors and the TV shows and, and movies and had always been most enamored of the first two queens for whatever reason. Um, initially, I think everyone is enthralled with the conflict that Catherine and Anne had. Um, I think people are sort of interested in the glorious catfight of it all, like what the, these women were sort of had to be pitted against each other because Anne Boleyn was being put up for Catherine's job, essentially, after Catherine was unable to have a male heir, which was a very big deal at the time. Um, so originally, I had just being a fan of the, the stories, I had wanted to tell a very straightforward story about the first two wives But what it always frustrated me was how similar Catherine and Anne were. They were intellectual, strong women, ambitious. And my thought was if they were alive today, they'd be allies fighting for the same causes, whatever those causes would be. So that is what gave me the idea to have them discover each other uh, at court and form this unlikely, strong, beautiful friendship. And in the show the writers uh, have created, and I have to call out the writers of The King's Wife because I may have had the germ of the idea, but these two wonderful ladies have taken it to next level. Uh, Melissa Ennis is our our book writer and Jamie Floyd, who is a Grammy-nominated songwriter, is our composer lyricist. And they've just created this incredible, tear-jerking, moving story that is incredibly powerful about these two women.
0: Yeah, and it's interesting that you say that they're so similar, because I think you're absolutely right. They're similar in so many ways. But, you know, history has painted them as very different and on opposite sides of a fight. You know, Catherine's the pious, stubborn martyr, and Anne is the scheming seductress. And, you know, you can never see them as friends. They're always adversaries, but they are very similar. And I could totally see a world in which if circumstances had been different, their relationship could have been much yeah. different. So it's, mm-hmm. I imagine that it's a challenge with a show like this, where this is a story we think we know really well. And there's mm-hmm. so much information mm-hmm. out there about Anne and Catherine and about the world of the Tudor court. So I how did you go about researching and looking at the historical information that we have and weaving that into the story? And how beholden did you feel to the research and the evidence that yeah, we have?
1: that's a great question. You know, um, I'd already been, you know, as, as a fan, I'd already read so many of the history books, you know, um, and some of, the, some of the books that pay a little bit less attention to the history, of course, too, you know. But um, we really felt a responsibility to do Catherine and Anne justice, and talk about the things that don't always come up throughout the course of the story. So, you know, um, these women were pretty incredible and the thing that gets reported uh, mostly about them are negative. The fact that Catherine was, as Melissa puts it, our, our book writer, an incapable mother, uh, not that she was a warrior, a great leader and the King's most trusted counselor at the time. In fact, um, the stars' TV show, The Spanish Princess, which is based on the Philippa Gregory book, did a really good job of showing that side, her leading troops and her good decision-making and her loyalty in spite of all the things happening around her. And Anne, who's just typically painted, as you said, as this sort of, you know, seductress and vixen. Uh, and she was the first wife to be executed really pretty barbarically. But she was an intelligent, clever and very driven person in terms of charity and things that she wanted to do. Um, she had all these interesting attributes. So these are the things that rise to the top of our story. Um, of course, there are things that happen in the history that we can't ignore. You know, how Anne uh, is, how Anne dies and, you know, what happens to Catherine. That's in there. It's just that we are also bringing forth all the incredible qualities and deeds that these women did. Um So, you know, of course, the historical record does influence the musical, but we're retelling aspects of it based on historical clues we saw in our research. For example, Catherine once said to her ladies about and I'm going to butcher this quote, but hopefully not. Pray for her because the time would come when you shall pity and lament her case. This is actually something that she said to her ladies when things were heating up. Um, Now, was that Catherine being a Christian, or was there something else to it? You know, did she see another woman who, like her, had many gifts and little choice um, in all matters? Um, And Anne was being pushed by her own father to pursue the king. She was sort of being pimped by her dad. Um, So how do you escape that? You know, how do you live in that world with no choice? Um, so we do feel very married to the history in that their endings don't change and the players are all the same. Uh, you'll see all the characters that are interesting to you, Henry's and it, crumbles, in it, uh, and there's a whole court full of really interesting personalities. But we're giving you a different point of view. And in this case, it's about a powerful friendship that might have been, you know, a friendship that could have and probably should have existed.
0: And... It's interesting that you talk about their lack of agency, their lack of choice, because I do think that's one of the aspects of this time period that's hard for us to wrap our minds around, is that these women were, you know, these women had power, these women were intelligent, these women had fire, they had opinions, but they also lived in a world where women were meant to be pious and they were meant to always listen to the men in their lives, they were, you know, meant to be obedient. And and we see that as oppression, and I'm sure it felt like that sometimes. But also, a woman's mindset at this time period about her place was very different than ours. So I'm wondering how you go about, in crafting the musical, trying to be true to the time period and these women and the world that they were living in but also coming at it with a a fresh feminist perspective that people now can appreciate?
1: Yes, that is a great, great question. Uh, There is real relevance to their story here, you know, looking at this story through a different lens and, you know, I'd be lying if I said that the Me Too movement did not come into play here, quite frankly. Um, You know, initially I created the story outline and wanted to tell the story of the two Queens, you know, as I'd said, um, as a producer, you have to know how to put creative teams together. Um, and I am not a writer. So I went out and found, you know, spectacularly talented creatives. Uh, again, Melissa Annis is originally from Wales and she's a Brooklyn based artist now and wonderful human. Um, and we started to work on the story in an early draft before equally wonderful Grammy nominated composer, Jamie Floyd came into the picture. And at first it was going to be about how Anne and Catherine become friends. And then Anne turns on Catherine because of their dire circumstances. It was sort of like a survival story. And Melissa, to her credit, said, no, 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 let's expand, like, in the wake of everything that was happening in the world, let's expand on this beautiful notion of their friendship and not have them ever be in conflict. Um, So we believe, you know, our sort of take on this story is, although we're not saying this overtly, but we believe that essentially Anne Boleyn was sexually harassed into the job, um, again, she did not have a choice. Henry's not someone that could or would be denied in any form. So what do you what do you do in that case? There would have been repercussions for her. Um, so with that in mind, we really advanced the story as, as that these women are never in conflict with each other. Um, it's more that their friendship is destroyed because of circumstances beyond their control, you know, a hostile patriarchal structure that existed in their world. Um, as a woman, you were not in control of your destiny. You were married off to benefit your family, and then you became your husband's property. <laughs> um, it was problematic if you did not bear sons. And that's what happened in both Catherine and Anne's circumstances. They birthed many children. Only one survived for each, each had a daughter. And in Anne's case, that daughter happened to be Queen Elizabeth I, you know, one of England's most powerful and successful uh, monarchs. So. By showing the strength and the integrity and the sort of unrelenting prowess of these women, um, that is how we were kind of showing the feminist perspective. We're also, you know, um, showing how uh, sort of the simple act of, you know, when at one point Catherine is put on trial and it's just so humiliating to her. You know, she was this sort of woman of great stature and, and, a, and a powerful, powerful mind. And um she's just so publicly humiliated. so we're sort of um we're sort of showing a lot of the injustice of it all, But through it all, they remain strong and dedicated to each other um, as as feminists should be. So that is how we how we tackle that. Um we're really, you know, instead of romancing, uh, you know creating a, a romantic notion of the Tudor times, we're actually saying that this was a terrible time for women. Um, you know, it's, it was not a good time for women, even if you were the queen. Yeah,
0: it was not a great time for women. Tagline for most of history, not a great, <laughs> not a great time for women. I know,
1: I know, I know.
0: But it is, um, I mean, it's a beautiful framework that you created for the show to say, let's put them on the same side. Let's make them always you know, let's make them friends of a sort let's have them yeah. care for each other because like you said before they are so similar in so many ways and they go through so many of the same heartbreaks you know they're both women there's such pressure for them to bear sons and then they can't they both have miscarriages they both have such dreadful disappointments um, and,
1: and- may say imagine the pressure of that I, can't, I wouldn't be able to imagine the pressure of that like this is the one job that you have. And you better do it. And you have no way of controlling that. Yeah. And to have
0: to have your fertility and to have the workings of your body and your ability to procreate be on such public display at all times. I mean, the pressure, the pressure they would have felt and the stress that would have created. It's just almost unfathomable. And as you say, women at this time, even women, with money even women in positions of power didn't have a lot of choice and that's hard for us to we always want to see agency in the stories of these women and there is some agency but they were living in such a different time and yeah. anne boleyn i think it's a really really interesting perspective to look at her at someone who was essentially Bullied into marrying Henry VIII, and someone who was sexually assaulted. Henry pursued her really hard, and she put him he off did. for a long, long time. But what, what, you know,
1: what did. choice
0: did she have? You know, what choices did she have when the king pursues right. you? What do you do?
1: And we sort of again, some of the depictions, um, because we don't really know exactly what happened, and all the accounts were written by you know not women really, so um, we don't really know what happened to Anne history paints her as she went after the king but it was like do that or what was going to happen to you you don't have any other choice the king has his eye on you um you know is this something she wanted or you know it, it, she didn't know any other way to be so um and if 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 your father is telling you to do this go after this what do you say um you know she just had really no power in the situation at all So it's a really, really interesting example of of a woman just being powerless. And, you know, either either she was playing the game or she, uh, you know, she was just doing what she had to do.
0: That's right. And then you look at Catherine, who also didn't have a lot of agency and had to watch her position as queen and her marriage crumble. And there was very little she could do. But she used what agency she had to say, no, I'm not going to go quietly into the night. No, I'm not going to. I'm not going to go along with this because I don't believe it's true. I don't believe it's right. You know, we were married. We are married. And I'm never going to say otherwise. And she suffered so much because of that choice. But I really admire that she stuck to her guns and refused to go along.
1: Yeah, essentially, they wanted to take away her name. And she, you know, if you know the history of Catherine, she was actually married to Henry's brother, initially, Arthur, and he died at a very uh, young age. They were married at a very young age. And she claimed and there's there um, it's disputed as to whether it was true or not. But she claimed that she had not she not laid with her first husband, meaning, you know, she was a virgin. So she could marry Henry. And Henry's father was very interested in the large dowry she brought with her from Spain. So um, the two were married. So she had from the very beginning, she set foot in England. It was an uphill struggle to maintain her position, to do the right thing by her first husband. And then she actually was in kind of an exile in England for several years while they worked at the dowry issue. She was just being horse traded really, you know? Um, you know? She had to leave, leave her home behind. So it's very interesting how, um, what these two women were able to withstand what you had to withstand as a woman at that time. I mean, there's plenty that we have to stand withstand today as, as women, obviously, still all women. Um, but it was a different story back then.
0: Yeah, that's right. Just they had to withstand so much. And I think, too, we often forget that Catherine married Henry's older brother and then had that time where she was essentially in exile and in limbo and didn't know what was going to happen to her. And Henry VII didn't want his son Henry to marry her. He was shopping around for other women because she'd kind of lost her, some of her um, allure by that point. But then Henry the Seventh died and Henry the Eighth actually chose Catherine. You know, it seems that he really did love her and she loved him and that yeah. they wanted to be together and it just makes it that much more sad that several years down the line that she was, she was shoved aside and humiliated the way she was.
1: It does, and in the show, we show that they have a mutual—whether or not you call it love—but like a really mutual enjoyment of each other. You know, they—they appreciate—they have um, this fun competition. I won't say exactly what it is, but um, but they really like enjoy each other. And Henry kind of appreciates her talents um, until a certain point, until she's just deemed unable to have a male child, and that's when everything changes for her. Yes. I was just
0: thinking about, so, you know, for for everyone listening, if you go onto the King's Wife Instagram account, you can actually get some little sneak peeks and, and snippets of songs as they're developing. And you should definitely go check them out because they are amazing. And we'll talk more about the music in a minute. But there's one particular song that... Um, Oh, I can now I can't remember the title, but it's, it's essentially women of the court singing about how, well, I could shut up and be the queen.
1: Yes, I, right. I could be quiet and just
0: be beautiful and wear the jewels. And, you know, yeah. I won't complain. I won't have opinions. I could shut up and be the queen. And I just it's a really yeah. fun, catchy song. But it's also like, whoa, there is a you know, there's a dark underside to that, which is, you know, these first two queens refused to shut up and refused to be quiet and to go along. And they suffered because of that. And it just is sort of this um, glimpse into what it meant to be a woman in the court. And that if you couldn't go along or wouldn't go along, what, what, you know, there were really dire consequences, obviously. Catherine <laughs> essentially dies in exile and Anne is beheaded. So. Yeah.
1: yeah. And I'm, I'm glad you enjoyed the song and and you're hundred percent right. You know, Jamie is known for writing these beautiful ballads in the music industry, but with the King's wife, she has, you know, sort of, turn this fabulous uh, corner and, and written all these incredibly cool, fun, um, uh, but still dark musical theater songs. So I Could Shut Up is this cool rockin', you know, song. And again, you can hear it on the Instagram at the King's Wife Musical is the handle um, that the ladies sing when they're getting annoyed that the King isn't paying attention to them, you know, like, and, and it's, it, I, I Could Shut Up as it's just this really, really fun song that kind of depicts that and how frustrated they are.
0: Yes. So let's talk a little bit about the development of the musical. I'm I'm interested in the process cuz obviously you're juggling a lot of different things. So this is a story about women who actually existed, people who actually existed and there's a lot of historical evidence, but you're also putting your own spin on it and, you know, fleshing it out. So what is the process like in terms of what comes first? Is it, you know, story writing? Is it crafting the music? How do those things, how does it all come together? What's the process look like?
1: Well, that's a really interesting question. So every musical is different, you know, and everything sort of uh, germinates differently. In this case, I had an idea, and I needed to find the right writer. Um, and I was referred to Melissa and I'd read a lot of writers, um, you know, but I just sort of read her, uh, read her, um, a couple of plays by her and, uh, you know, got to know her voice as we say. And I just was floored by her ability to take you to a place, a different time and, and, and space, you know, she takes you into a period and she doesn't only write period pieces, um, but she takes you into a period and you feel like you're transported to somewhere else. But at the same time, her language and her visuals and her her humor are so contemporary that there's a very sort of modern um, filter to it. So I had to find, I wanted to, and Melissa had never written a musical before, but she had always wanted to. So uh, we spent a bit of time together, um, you know, just sort of getting the initial story down. And of course that's changed. Um, You know, everything changes up until opening night, quite frankly. Um, But about a year into it, we said, okay, I think we're really ready to bring a composer into this because, you know, Melissa was sort of, um, again, she's a genius writer, but she was sort of uh, digging her feet into the sand and really feeling her way around um, how how to write a musical so um, which is a little bit different than than writing a play so uh, we uh a, a friend of mine in la a music supervisor in la um had said you know you really need to talk to this woman jamie floyd she's incredible um, and a lovely person all of which is in, entirely true and she's an incredible songwriter and melissa and i just listened to um, a couple of her songs and i mean I, again i had listened to like ugh, dozens of writers, all wonderfully talented, but just not the right voice for the King's wife. So, um... We heard uh, Jamie stuff and like within two songs, we were like, oh my goodness, we have to talk to Jamie. (laughs) Um, And she just really had such an enthusiasm for the material um, and had so many good ideas. And her and Melissa, the most important thing, again, as a producer, you have to be able to see that a team is going to be able to work together. And her and Melissa just really hit it off and we're kind of ideating from the start. Um, And they're both such lovely people that they, you know, I could really see that they would do what it took to make it work. Um, Um, And then they were off and running, you know, so um, in a very short amount of time, comparatively, uh, you know, we have a really strong story. And and I want to say, you know, between 15 and 20 songs, depending on what's in and out on on any given day, because you write new songs, you get rid of other songs, you bring songs back, that sort of thing. So um, that's been the process. And uh, we have a Uh, a workshop of the show coming up at a very uh, prestigious American theater um, called Playwrights Horizons. You know, we're very excited that they're giving us some time and that's their way of checking it out to see if they want to do a production of it. So we're readying for that in January. Unfortunately, due to COVID, of course, it was pushed back about three times. But but yeah, we're very excited about that. So the team just continues to work. We've also added a fantastic... um, director by the name of Tamala Woodard, who is so talented and such a good leader. Um, So she's been a fabulous addition to the team. She's also, you know, brought a fresh mind to things, which is great. And a fantastic music director by the name of Brandon Bush. And Tamala really had to convince uh, me and my wonderful producing partner, Abigail Rose Solomon, to, you know, take a man onto the team. We're like, no, 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 this is an all-female creative team. Come on, you know? And she's like, I totally get it. But Brandon is so great. He's a feminist. <laughs> and I you know very important you have to be feminist to work on the show uh and i've worked on and i worked with him on other musicals and he will speak jamie's language he's from the music industry brandon is like you know um if you pick up an album he has potentially played on it he, he is in a band uh, called sugarland his brother's christian bush um and he uh has just done a lot of really interesting things he was in the band train and he's he's sort of um, had a very interesting career and brings a, an incredible skill set um, to uh, to the team. And he and Jamie had a shorthand very quickly. And then Tamala is sort of, you know, working, in, getting in there and working with them. And and uh, again, adding a fresh mind to the story building, um, which is very important. You know, adding a direct, you know, it, it was just sort of Melissa and Jamie and I for so long, and now we're adding other artists to the mix. So again, you have to be really uh, scrupulous about, um, who you add, and you have to look at everybody's temperaments and skill sets. And and, and, um, and I just think we have the best, best team. That's really exciting.
0: And yeah. I, I imagine that that is such a um, a special skill to be able to bring people together who are going to meld well, because fresh voices and opinions are good, but you don't want too many cooks in the kitchen. It's got to be a really fine balance
1: mm-hmm. to yeah. strike. Yeah, again, it's, Right. You do. And, and as a producer, you have to sort of realize what the team needs at certain times. Um, sometimes you have to say no, you know, um, which is not my favorite thing to do. But uh, but you know, there, there's and you have to just really make sure that they're getting what they need and um, that they can continue to to work the way they need to. Um, getting them time with theaters and getting them places that they can work and figuring out how they can be together, et cetera. Um, and, you know, assessing the progress, you know, uh, as a producer, you have to know when it's time to step back now that we have this really incredible director and she can lead the team creatively and help dramaturg the material, um, so that, you know, me and Abigail can go out and, uh, do what we need to do as producers.
0: So let's talk a little bit about the music specifically. So you said, I think that you all have 15 or 20 songs somewhere around there coming and going at the moment.
1: (laughs) Right. Depending on uh, what version of the script that we're looking at, yeah. Yes. So one song that... I have to say, I, there's, they're all incredible. Jamie has done such a good job. I know I sound like a, a proud mother, um, but all the babies are beautiful.
0: <laughs> well, everything I've heard has been amazing. And I'm sure our listeners, if you haven't heard any of it yet, after you're done with this... Go and listen, because they're going to get stuck in your head and you're going to be singing them for days. I often hum the songs to myself while I'm doing the dishes, and it's glorious. So we're actually going to, after this interview, we're going to listen to one specific song called I Know You. We're going to listen to this specific song, and I'm wondering if you can tell us anything about what this song is about and how it came to be.
1: Absolutely. Um, So uh, it was, you know, Jamie and Melissa kind of sitting around and we come to the determination. Uh, Catherine suffers a tragedy in the story. I won't I won't tell you what, but um, she goes through a very hard time and um, uh, Anne is trying to comfort her. And uh, there was this beautiful conversation between um, Jamie and Melissa and Jamie said, what is she, you know, what does Anne want to say to Catherine? And Melissa was like, you know, she's really trying to say, you can do this. I know you, you know, and, and, and Jamie just sort of took that and came up with this extraordinary um, ballad that is just, you know, it's so beautiful. Um, And it's a song about, helping to get a friend back on their feet after you've suffered a tragedy. Um, You know, Jamie's specialty, again, in the music industry is beautiful ballads. And this is just sort of, you know, um, this would be a hallmark for her. So um, we're very proud of the song. It's the first promotional single we've released. It's on iTunes and Spotify. Um, And yeah, we really hope you enjoy it.
0: And it is, as you'll all hear in a minute, it's it's sad, but beautiful. And there's a chord in the song that I feel like is in all the music from this musical it that is it feels so relevant it's like this is a story about women from who lived a long time ago and lived in many ways in a different world from us but every single song really strikes to the heart to me of of some of the struggles of being a woman, the frustrations of being a woman and about, as you said, about female friendship and the power of the, you know, the power of female friendship and what it can do. So I'm, I'm wondering why you think we're still so obsessed with the tutors and with these women specifically, why do we keep returning to their stories? Why are they still relevant for us now?
1: Ah, that is such an interesting, um, question. I think, unfortunately, most people are intrigued by the cruder aspects of the story. You know, what did one woman do to get thrown out of her job and exiled from her only child? And again, you know, just as an aside, there's the brutality, right? Like this woman was taken away. Um, Catherine was never allowed to see her daughter Mary ever again. Um, So so what did she do that was so horrible? Um, You know, what did Anne do to face the executioner and lose her head? There's, there's, um, there's almost a mystique about them in a way. Um, But again, because women were not in charge of their own destinies and did not write their own stories that time the stuff that gets reported on is the darker, uglier stuff. Um, There's actually a famous quote by Thomas Cromwell who figures prominently in our story as someone Catherine must fight against. And that was true in history as well. And what he said was, nature wronged her in not making her a man, but for her sex, she would have surpassed all the heroes of history. So even Cromwell was really impressed with Catherine, though he saw fit to help, you know, take her out. Um, He didn't think her legacy was worth anything, though he thought she was an extremely formidable um, you know, person, warrior, you know, she had everything it took to be a leader. Mm.
0: Speaking of other characters that feature in the story, I'm wondering if we can talk a little bit about who else shows up in the musical. And I know one of the prominent characters is actually Catherine's daughter, Mary. So can you tell us a little bit about Mary's role in the play and why you all decided to feature her prominently?
1: Yeah, actually, that is all. You know, um, that is all. Melissa and Jamie. Initially, she was not in the show, and they're like, "We need Mary to be in the show." They were like, "We, we need Mary to be in the show." So, um, uh, Mary's Mary starts out the show as a happy, excited teen. You know, she's like twelve or thirteen initially, and we see her uh, sort of, um, you know, age a couple of years and become a very, very bitter young woman because she sees what happens to her mother. But when we meet her, she's this sort of angsty teen that is, that is in France and is sort of, she's there to marry, the, to, to be betrothed to the Dauphin of France. Um, and she's kind of like, she's just not doing well. She's, she's sort of um, not adapting well to the culture and people don't really like her. And she's sort of, oh, like all, all um, you know, uh, unhappy and, and uh, you know, writing home to her mother, like, what do I do? So Jamie uh, came up with this amazing way to uh, have Mary communicate with her mom through letters. And it's a series of songs about how she's doing in France. And Initially, uh, the first uh, part of the song that she sings, it's sort of like the King George uh, character in Hamilton that comes in and out, you know, when you hear her story that way, although she figures more prominently in the story than he does. But um, the first part of the uh, story through song that she uh, sings is, it's called um, I'm Bombing in France. And it's about how she's not doing well. Mm -hmm. And then the next part, Anne... talks to Catherine and gives her some advice because Anne has lived in the French court. And this is how Anne and Catherine start to bond. Um, so Mary is given this advice and she starts to do better in France. So the next part of the song is called France is the bomb. <laughs> so.
0: And you can actually hear a little bit of that one on, on Instagram yeah, as well, which yeah, is great. It's on
1: Instagram, <laughs> it's great. I mean, Jamie just murdered it. It was great. Um, so, but, um, But ultimately, what we see with Mary is that she, you know, gets moved around. She gets again. She gets horse traded, kind of like you know other women in the court. Uh, No, we're going to remove you from. You know, we're not going to have you marry the 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 um, the Dauphin of France because uh, we need you to marry someone else. Your mother's as her mother's fortunes declined, so did hers. So she sees what's happening to her mother ultimately, and it's very difficult for her. Um, and she becomes uh, embittered, uh, which is exact, the exact opposite of how we meet her, you know? Um, so one of the reasons why we really discovered that Mary was so important to the story is that she's yet another example of a wasted, interesting uh, female. You know, she, had, she was a smart woman. She had some interesting attributes. Um, she potentially could have been a great leader. Um, and she did do some interesting things as queen. However, she earned the nickname Bloody Mary, because the first thing that she did when she assumed the throne after her father died, not having a male heir after six wives, the first thing that she did was take out her enemies. That was her first act she started, you know, going after the, the Protestants. We don't really get too much into religion in the show because that's not the message of the show. Um, and we don't get into what, what happens to Mary um, uh, afterward. But, you know, that's the first thing she did in history. She was so angry. She uh, saw fit to just start, you know, taking out Protestants and murdering, murdering people of a certain religious faith. Um, So so, yeah, like and and it's it's because she was so embittered and so angry at what happened to her mother.
0: And to herself as well. I mean, she was quite staunchly Catholic, just like her mother was very staunchly Catholic. But Mm -hmm. you can see you can see how she arrived where she did by the time she became queen. I mean, if you think about it, she was witness to the rise and fall of not only her own mother, which um, must have been devastating, but also every single Stepmom who came after some of whom she was quite close to, yeah. um, and and with every one of those rises and falls, Mary's life was impacted as well. She must have been incredibly frustrated and bitter, and you know, it, it's a, I think it's another example of as you say, a woman who was intelligent and full of fire, and and could have done so so much and did so much, but was so impacted by her circumstances and by what happened to her. So we often only see and talk about the end of her life and her reign, but I think there's just so much to explore about her young life and what it was like growing up as the daughter of Henry VIII. So I'm really excited to see how that, you know, how she manifests in the show.
1: Yeah, she's a great character in the show. She's a great character.
0: And I I have to ask, uh, even though I I almost don't want to bring him up, but obviously Henry VIII (laughs) plays quite a vital role in this history. He's very involved. So does he show up much in the show? And how does he show up?
1: He does. Um, He actually had a smaller part initially, and we have increased his role. (laughs) It was sort of like, we don't want to give the men too many things to say, but actually you can't tell the story without Henry VIII figuring prominently into it. Um, so he is in it. Um, he's a really like sort of fun, charismatic character. Um, although we know he's dangerous, you know, we know that he is not a good man and dangerous. Um, and you're sort of as a, as a, you know, a person that exists in the court, you're subject to his whims, whatever they may be. Um, so he has a couple of songs in the musical actually that are, that are being birthed right now. Um, at this juncture, and again, things always change when things are in development, but um, he is, the the court is singing about something that he he messed up while Catherine was out sort of leading troops in a successful campaign, which actually happened. Henry um, went out and sort of messed up, like storming the castle somewhere, basically. Uh, but he comes back and Catherine's like, we got to spin this, you know, make it look like it was a success. So it's a story about, um, how his failure actually via a game of telephone through the court becomes this incredible success. Um, and later on, uh, I, I believe that, uh, the ladies are giving him a song, um, when, he realizes that he can be the king of everything. He can be more powerful than church, more powerful than the Pope, um, that sort of thing. So he's really actually more and more um, providing some comic relief. However, you are always aware that he's a dangerous character. You're always aware that you are under his thumb if you live in the court. Um, And he is the last word on everything. So, but he's, he's actually become a really, really fun character in the show.
0: And would you say in the show, does he come across as a sympathetic character at all? Or do you think he's really comes across as the villain or a little bit of both?
1: You know, it's, it's, that's a great question. Um, I think Jamie and Melissa have worked really hard not to make him just you know basically bad you know like he's what what their what what they're feeling is is that he was born into a job that he really wasn't that well qualified for you know he was sort of more of an artist um he loved to play instruments and write and this and that and um not that you can't do that and also be king but he just you know wasn't always that great at his job without getting into all the detail and and millions of examples and that day you were kind of born into the job so um, their take is that he's just not the right person for the job and potentially Catherine was, <laughs> but she couldn't be because she was a girl. So, yeah,
0: because she was really, she was raised to be a leader from mm-hmm. the very beginning. I mean, she was the daughter of Isabella and Ferdinand and she was like an incredibly, uh, she was a ruler in her own right, her mother, Um, and such a powerful example and raised her daughter knowing that she would also be a leader and she would also be a a powerful queen. So she really was raised to rule in a way that Henry wasn't.
1: Yeah. The opening number of the show right now, it's the opening number again, it could change, but is a song called um, I should be queen. And it opens with Catherine leading those troops into that um, battle um, at Flodden. And it's a song about how um, she's right where she belongs. This is what I should be doing. She's, she is proud of, she's proud to be smart and powerful. She's proud of her position. She revels in it. And she's ambitious and interesting.
0: So let's say that someone is sitting down and they watch the musical and they're walking out of the theater. What person some- love it? <laughs> I mean, obviously, we want them to love it and they obviously will love it because it's going to be amazing. Yes, I, I but think we'll, so. It's quite yes, good. for sure. What would you, what are some of the things that you would ideally like someone to walk away thinking about?
1: Um, I think we want to want them to walk away with a, a different idea about what these women went through. It was n- not really a romantic time. Um, and I think that we want them to walk away with. An idea of what could have been, you know, um, sort of like, wow, had these women been allowed to be who they were, um, really great things might have come of it. And mainly, I think that we want them to um, see that when great women are not allowed to rise or any women are not allowed to rise, the whole world suffers, the whole world suffers. Um, and of course, we want them to be, you know, talking about the story and singing the songs when they leave the theater and telling friends about it. So,
0: wonderful. Well, can you tell us anything about uh, how the music, the musical is coming along and when we might actually be able to go and enjoy it in person?
1: Yes. Well, of course, uh, unfortunately, COVID has really, you know, delayed things quite a bit for all musical theater. Um, Broadway is just starting to come back. Um, So it has put things back, I would say, by at least a year or two, sadly. However, um, in the pandemic, the team has been extremely productive. So um, when we do have the offer of a production, we will be, you know, we will be in good shape. We will be like I wouldn't say ready to go, but we will be on our way to being ready to go. Um, so the uh, workshop that we're doing with Playwrights Horizons is in, is in January uh, and shortly thereafter, we should know what will, what our first production will be. Um, we have conversations happening with Australia and with the UK and with other theaters, you know, around the country. Um, So we'll see, you know, uh, it's really there's just so much up in the air right now, unfortunately, with the virus. And, um, of course, you know, the devastation that it's caused, you know, theater has been devastated and there's been a lot of, you know, lives and families devastated by it. So um, we're just grateful that, you know, everybody on the team is well and has gotten through it Um, and we continue to work but I'm really, it's, we're really excited. about
0: it. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm really excited about it too.
1: Yeah. It's, it's pretty special. Um, it's pretty special. It's, you know, it's a dark story. Um, but there's, you know, Melissa and Jamie have infused such levity into it. You know, there's laugh out loud moments in it and, um, it's so moving, you know, you really, uh, really begin to mourn for what could have been with these two great minds, these two interesting women.
0: And how what a beautiful thing to be able to do to bring these incredible women to the forefront and tell their story in a new way and in a way that makes them more complex and more human. You know, we often see them as caricatures or cardboard cutouts, and we see them always in relation to the man that they married. But there's so much more than that. And Mm -hmm. I think to to reimagine them as friends and as two women who fight for each other and stand by each other is just so moving and beautiful. And you really feel that resonance in every single song. So it's gonna be incredible. I can't wait to see it
1: lovely to hear thank you I you know we really appreciate it um yeah I mean you'll hear it in the lyrics Is a great um line from the song I know you you've got something there they can't touch so, so much more than um enough and it's so it's sort of very evocative of the message of the show really
0: well thank you so much this has been such a fascinating conversation and I can't wait for all of my listeners to discover the king's wife and follow along
1: as it develops Oh, it was a pleasure to be with you. Thank you so much for having me, Kate. And I love the podcast.
0: Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. (laughs) Thanks so much to Jen for joining us. The King's Wife has resumed development in full force after the long stall that was the pandemic, and they just completed their first workshop with the famed Playwrights Horizons in New York. Next up, they're headed to Seattle for another workshop with the Village Theater, another step along the path to their first production. You can add I Know You, the song that you're about to hear, right now to your playlist on Spotify. And you can follow along with the development of The King's Wife and hear excerpts from other amazing songs on Instagram at thekingswifemusical. And now, as promised, let's listen to I Know You. I hope you're ready to have some feelings about it. Get your tissues out. That's all I'm going to say.
1: dreams,
0: Mm, I just
1: know it, cause you've got something they can't touch, so
0: much more than enough, I know what you're